Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Cindy Dale, an internationally renowned speaker, healer, business consultant, and author of 14 books, including the bestseller, The Subtle Body, an Encyclopedia of Your Energetic Anatomy. It won four internationally recognized publishers' awards, and you can find it on ncreview.com. Anyway, Cindy works with clients and groups, serving as an intuitive coach and energy healer. And with her business partner, Anthony Benson, she provides creativity and writing classes through their business, Dreams Made Manifest an arm of which is Deeper Well Publishing, the publisher of her own and Anthony's projects, as well as other books and products. Today we'll be learning about Cindy's latest title, The Intuition Guidebook, How to Safely and Wisely Use Your Sixth Sense. (laughs) Welcome, Cindy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And it's a perfect time of year to talk about our sixth sense as we kind of wrap up this year and go into the next. And we want to use that psychic sense uh, very wisely, don't we? You bet. And if there's a book destined to help people open to it, yours is it. Oh, thank you. Uh, Cindy, for an intuitive healer, you have such an unusual background in business, including teaching business ethics at the University of Minnesota and consulting for 3M and Tonka on PR. Now, how did this rather interesting mix come about? Well, isn't that just a hoot of a background to end up doing basically intuitive readings for people? Yes. I was super, super sensitive as a kid. I'm one of those, uh, you know, people who as just a young child was able to see colors around people, pick up on other people's senses, feelings, needs. You know, once in a while what might happen in the future, I could always tell when mom was angry. I could always tell when dad, you know, was kind of not in a good mood. And I thought it was normal. I thought that's what everybody did. Uh, but lo and behold, my parents uh, weren't too pleased with my abilities, especially when I was accurate. And, you know, so what happened over time is I really just started shutting down those innate psychic or spiritual gifts. So by the time I was 12, 13, 14, I just wanted to fit in. Uh, Miriam, I just wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to kind of slide through school, look the same, act the same, talk the same, certainly not see angels in the classroom or, you know, kind of on the other side of it, you know, some of the more dark and shadowy figures. And so it was really natural for me in, in, you could really say in order to avoid the more subtle world to go into the more corporate world. Cause at that time anyway, they were almost on opposite poles. Mm-hmm. So I thought, gosh, I'm safe. If I can wear a suit to work and kind of, you know, the, at the time we were wearing little bow ties, we women were, you know, mm-hmm. and short pumps. I thought, you know, I never have to face down, you know, the demons, the angels, the other parts of myself that made me question, uh, concrete reality again. But I did enjoy actually studying business ethics, uh, 
public um, affairs, corporate social responsibility. So, so I spent quite a few years, you know, kind of really digging into the whole world of ethics uh, to the level that I was actually able to even uh, teach corporate social responsibility through the University of Minnesota. And, you know, at one level, I was kind of running away from other gifts, but at another level, I was probing uh, uh, the questions, what's good, what's not good, what are our responsibilities as human beings in looking at what are the boundaries we're supposed to uphold from a, an, a, 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 the point of view of a corporation or a business or a nonprofit, I was really kind of tumbling myself into the same questions in the personal arena. I just didn't know it then. Uh, so I spent several years exploring the world of business, but, but always looking at the deeper questions. You know, who are we? What are we here to do? You know, what has meaning? What doesn't? And what are we supposed to do from a corporate point of view? And, you know, even now, though I work mainly with individuals, not always, I work with businesses still too, and I'm looking at questions about, you know, what somebody's personal destiny, what is, what is somebody supposed to understand about their own spiritual nature and their own boundaries and their own needs. The questions are actually kind of the same, to be honest. Well, don't you feel that it's almost a convergence of the two streams at this time? We, we have all of these questions being raised about corporate responsibility and, and even political responsibility with, with, uh, recently a book came out about how all the Congress people are, uh, enriching themselves at the expense of the taxpayer. And, um, and we also have an awakening on the part of the people, not only to uh, what's going on in the world, but also to questions about uh, connection. And I can't tell you how many people have told me the same story of having been intuitive as a child and then having that squashed out of them, wanting to conform. Absolutely. And I do think there's a convergence going on. You know, and it was actually prophesized by a number of different tribes and cultures and countries. Uh, I think mainly of the Hopi prophecy that's hundreds and hundreds, if not centuries, years old, where the Hopi Native American group down in the Southwest uh, said at one point, two roads are going to have to come together. And one road, you know, is the red way, is the rainbow path, is the path of, of, of seeking and being into nature, but being responsible to nature as well. You know, it's the path of the intuitive. It's the path of the spiritual. It's the path of the heart. And they also prophesied there'd be a different path that's represented by the so-called white man, you know, that we could term the corporate, the technological, the so-called progressive. But the Hopi said these two paths have to come together to form the road that we can all walk down in a way that's peaceful and that's responsive and that's responsible. I think it's exciting. I think we're in that time. And, you know, a lot of my clients have maybe not the same background that I do, they, but, but they're looking at the two parts of themselves, the part of them that has to get up, go to work, pay the bills, live in a life that has no margin. We're all falling off the pages. We have no time. Mm -hmm. Everything's buzzing. You can get to anybody through five different means. I mean, email, Internet. I mean, it's crazy, you know, how we're all at so exposed with very little of ourselves left intact. 
And yet most of my clients and the people I know are also seeking to resurrect and to reframe the part of them that's deeper, that's personal, that's, that's, that's been held maybe sometimes too private, Miriam, but isn't supposed to be private. You know, some of us call it the true self, the, the inner self, the spirit self. We can't ignore one for the other. That, I, I do know that for sure. Oh, you know what? You mentioned your true self. There was such a great quote in your book that, that I kept on underlining little quotes all over the place. And, and I want to just read it out. Your true self is your spirit. You are here to express your spirit. If a teacher or role model or a system of knowing such as tarot cards actually helps you better define and become your own spirit, great. But if they no longer lead you further into your real self, then you have to stop consulting them. Such wise words. They are. And, you know, they come out of personal experiences, most uh, great wisdoms do. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of grew up white wonder bread Lutheran, which wasn't a very suitable background when it came to figuring out my intuitive gifts. And so I started exploring the different realms of shamanism, healing, intuition in America and, and abroad. And so I kind of grew up with what people call the new age. And I've gone through a lot of different phases. I've done my crystals. I've done my pendulums, my tarot cards, my channeling, my this and my that. You know, none of which I really work with anymore. And, and so we do go into different stages that teach us or heal us. And it's so important to be open to evolving. Not that what we've done maybe is wrong. It just may not be right anymore. So, so we always have to grow. We have to constantly, I have to constantly ask myself the question from the inside of myself out. Does this fit? Does this suit? Is this who I'm supposed to be right now? Is there another rim that I'm supposed to get to? Another horizon to, to go toward? That, that's so interesting because I get such a variety of books to review and they are suitable for many, many different stages along the path. And even though I may have gone through to a different stage, I have to look at each one as, you know, for whom is this valid? For whom does this have integrity? And uh, people need different things as they as they grow along their path, just as you say. Absolutely. And sometimes we circle back. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a few years ago, I was raised Lutheran. You know, quite a few years ago, I actually went to a seminary to work on a Master's of Divinity because it was very important for me at that time to retract, to retrace, you know, to kind of to kind of go back to that well and open up to what would have meaning for me today. And what was ironic is when I was in the seminary, I had can't come back um, from a two-week trip to Peru where I did some of the ancient uh, ceremonies and went to the seminary one night. We were going to do a, a ritual in the church, in the altar space. It was the exact ceremony that we had just done in the jungle, you know, toward a different purpose. Very same. I mean, it's fascinating, I think, how many different ways we can visit, um, you know, kind of the question of who are we, you know, and how do we open to higher guidance? Well, you've been to Peru, Belize, Hawaii, Costa Rica, Morocco, Venezuela, Iceland. Tell me, have you kind of um, discerned a common spiritual message 
coming out of these different traditions? I have. I, I think I would use the word grace. And most people use the word love, unconditional love, and I do believe that we're here to be about love and to learn how to create more love. We're not just here to be loving in the way we already know, or you could even say the way we brought in from the heavens or from past lives or, you know, however dramatic we want to get. I think we're here to empower love. I think every single tradition in its essence is saying we're here to be about love and to show love, but it needs to be done in a way that's empowered, that moves love forward, that moves ourselves to love, and that moves the world to a higher state of consciousness and love. And I define grace empowered love. It's grace in movement. Sometimes to be loving, we need to, we need to sit and meditate. It doesn't mean we have to be busy. That's kind of the Western definition of being powerful. But every tradition that I've experienced or read about or the people that I've talked to, underneath, there's a way, there's a place the practitioners, the providers, the sacred literature are trying to say, this is the way to create more love. This is the way to draw more love into this place that we're calling Earth. And I'm touched anytime I hear that message from somebody who follows whatever way that it is that they follow. To, to me, I can tell that they're genuine and that there's a genuine truth underneath if that's what the message is going toward. Mm, that's lovely. Well, tell us about the, the, the book that we're, we're here to discuss, the Intuition Guidebook. Why did you write it? It's like your third book this year. When do you have free time, by the way? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things I do is I write really fast. I've trained myself to write fast and not perfectly, so I'm really good at hiring editors because I don't demand of myself that I have a sentence actually grammatically correct. Dangling participles are completely acceptable in my universe as long as somebody else fixes them. So... (laughs) And, you know, the other thing I'm really good at is I'm a single mom and the child, he wouldn't call himself a child, the young man who is, you know, kind of still under my roof is 12 going on 13. He goes to every sport ever invented by mankind. And I mean mankind. Okay, we don't do ballet. We don't do, you know, anything that's like a girly thing. It has to be the rough, tough, like, oh, my God, is he going to survive this game? And I spend an awful lot of time in the pre and the post games writing. So it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're sitting at a hockey stadium and they take an hour to get dressed and an hour to get done, just sitting there with your laptop. So that's my, that's what I do with my free time as I write, because otherwise I'd just be sitting there either freezing or in the rain if it's baseball. Um, so I squeeze it in and I like to write. So, you know, at least I like what I'm doing. Intuition guidebook has been percolating, Miriam, for decades, but quite literally, it's gone through maybe seven or eight rewrites over the last 10 years. This is the book I wish I could have read 20, 30, I don't know if I would have read it 40 years ago, but, you know, decades ago, Mm -hmm. that has the basics about psychic activity, about how to grow up your psychic senses so that they're safe for you, so that you're not vulnerable to the, the kind of energies that float around, whether those be other people's feelings, other people's illnesses, entities, energies, you know, the stuff that just 
you know, kind of is carried wildly and widely in the universe, that for we really innately sensitive people become our energy, our information, our illnesses, our beliefs when they're not really supposed to be. So this is the book that helps people like me who are sensitive grow and mature their innate wonderful abilities up so that they work for us, not against us. It's a compendium of everything I've learned kind of really about boundaries and how to transform what's not working on that kind of subtle, intuitive, you know, psychic realm into something that's really truly going to help ourselves on our path so we can help others with these gifts not just uh you know not just kind of be the victim of them to be honest Mm -hmm. what was it that made you decide that it's okay to express or open to your psychic gifts Oh my, that's a great question because implied in your question, you know, is the uh, reality that for many, many years it wasn't okay for me to open to or to reactivate my psychic gifts. Um, you know, I shut them down when I was 12 or 13 because they were just too weird and I, they drove me crazy and they really didn't make me very popular either at school or in my family. And when I, was about 19 or 20, I entered therapy as a client, you know, for a number of reasons, anorexia, uh, bulimia, they just called me obsessive compulsive. I think it's kind of the universal kind of, you know, statement, you're, you're codependent, you're this, you're that, or the other thing. And I was working with the, uh, gratefully with a therapist who looked at me and said, you know, I don't think you're just codependent or just XYZ. I think you're psychic. And her stating it so clearly to me was like having cold water thrown on my face that that was, Cindy, you've got to face this. You need to look at what this is about. And you need to learn how to both open and control these abilities. Because if you have them, you have them. I could spend all my energy fighting the fact that I'm psychic, or I could go along with the program and learn how to very actively and accurately learn how to use the gifts, you know, to better myself or others, because they certainly weren't working for me kind of when I was just trying to implode them. In fact, I really believe a lot of the problems I had as a teenager and, you know, kind of even going through life have more to do with me repressing my gifts than they act out. You know, it's kind of like kids who are told to sit in, sit in a chair in school for like eight hours. There's so no way that's going to happen. They'll be throwing spitballs. You know, they'll do something to get the better of you. Well, that's what our gifts do unless we really work with them. So it's really a therapist who kind of turned me on to having to deal with my gifts and having to learn and figure out what they really were. Well, clearly the universe put her in your path because that's a kind of an unusually uh, open-minded reaction. Um, Now, you have a really interesting questionnaire in the book where people can assess their own psychic potential. Do you think that everybody has this sensitivity or capability in one way or another? I believe absolutely everybody is psychic. 
I connect the psychic senses to what's called the chakras, or energy centers in or around the body. And, and these chakras, we've got pictures of them. And even, even some medical doctors are coming around and saying, wow, we really do have an energy anatomy. We have energy bodies. We have energy fields. We're made of all these beautiful fluid energies that only show up with very keen instruments. And these chakras are arranged or arraigned at different levels, kind of in our body or around our body, and each function on a different vibration or band of frequency. Each chakra kind of houses its own set of gifts, and you could call them psychic gifts, which is just the ability to interpret, to pick up on, to send information that moves at different frequencies. Everybody is psychic in one way or another. We have to be. We have different gifts. I, however, am probably psychic in a different way than you are, Miriam, you know, than somebody else, than my son, than my dog is, you know, because I don't need all those gifts in order to achieve my spiritual destiny. I may need some of them more than others, so I'm going to be stronger in some arenas than I am in others. And so in the questionnaire, I'm really helping people pinpoint which are their stronger gifts but, but secondarily, there's another level of questioning going on in, the, in that questionnaire to help people figure out which of these gifts may be causing them troubles because they're not really managing them very well. And so they may need to develop some processes or some techniques whereby they can more kind of, kind of intelligently manage the gifts so that they're not just kind of willy-nilly, picking up on things that aren't our business or causing us problems when we don't want them to be causing us problems. Hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed this interesting blend of uh, psychic information and also almost psychological advice that are interwoven. Um, you, you talk about... Uh, the difference between psychic skills, intuition, and spirituality. Um, how do you distinguish between them, and where does the sixth sense fit in? I do distinguish between those. And I don't really know of anybody else who gets that definitive. It's very important for me, especially when working with very sensitive people who might be getting voices at night that they don't want or they're constantly sick and it's really others' energy that's causing them to be ill. So I think it's really important to have these categories. The psychic sense is the undiluted uh, perception of psychic information. Psychic information is just energy. It's information that moves faster than the speed of light. And science has actually proven, interestingly enough, in the past couple months, that mass or energy can move faster than the speed of light. So it's very exciting that science is kind of backing what a lot of mystics have said for a really long time. So psychic means also unfiltered that we don't really know what we're picking up or sending off. What's really happening when we're being psychic is the programs that we carry, kind of like mom's stuff, dad's stuff, the world's issues, what we've decided unconsciously we need to be like in order to survive is deciding what psychic information we're taking in or giving off. A lot of that doesn't really work for us. You know, it's gonna send people the messages 
such as we're not worthy, we don't deserve to be supported, we're not smart, you know, the, the kind of stuff that brews in our subconscious that might make us fit in but not thrive. We become intuitive when we're able to more consciously manage our psychic gifts, when we're able to say, I don't want to retrieve this type of information, or I want to send positive information into the world about myself rather than lies that I had to hold as true in order to survive, for instance, my childhood. So becoming intuitive is, is a very sometimes hard process because we have to be very intellectual and intentional about how to direct the psychic information, but it's well worth it. And it's kind of like working with the secret in a way. We start to really get clear about what we're picking up on and what we're sending off. The sixth sense is really kind of a combination of the psychic and the intuitive, and it's more of the intuitive. When it's working for us rather than against us, we're really locked into our sixth sense in a good way. But you know what happens? Those innate gifts, once we learn how to manage them, start to transform. We don't have to think so much about them. We don't have to be quite so eggheaded or, or analytical. They start to work with our spirit, with our true self, with our spiritual self. We, we bring them under the divine. We start to work with these gifts in a much more divinely inspired way. They grow. They mature. They become more magical. They become more immediate. They become less thoughtful and more spiritual. And I call that the use of the spiritual gifts or the seventh sense. So all of a sudden we're bigger than we ever were because we've got the divine helping us. We've got the guides helping us. We have our own spirit taking over, you know, and doing that which we can't do in our brain, doing it in and through our divine self. So that's the evolution that I'm helping myself and the readers of the Intuition Guidebook undergo. How fascinating. Cindy, what are the different psychic styles that uh, you describe in your book and what, what influences whether we develop in one way or another? Oh, those are great questions. Uh, well, there's 12 basic styles, and I'll briefly describe them uh, from a somewhat generic point of view because everybody uses these just a little differently. Uh, the, the, the one connected to the first chakra in the hip, I usually call physical sympathy. It's more of a psychic physical gift. And, you know, when, when we have trauma, especially at an early age, if we're taught that we're not deserving or worthy or we're unwanted, that gift can kind of work against us. It's almost like that energy center gets blown open and all too easily we take on other people's, guess what, physical issues. We attune to their illnesses, their problems, their financial issues. We pick up on what's going on that's really scary or terrorizing, you know, in other people or in the environment. And we really become overloaded from a physical sympathy point of view with what's going on in the physical world. When we're able to transform that gift, when we're supported in it, when we know that we can use it for good, that we're really an awesome person, that gift transforms into a manifesting capability. We're actually able to take what's invisible and make it rock solid real. Like we're able to take the idea of how to make money and turn it into actual coinage. We're able to think, gosh, I need a new carpet, and you know what? 
life rearranges and we get a new carpet. So each gift I'm going to describe has a a, a drawback, kind of a, uh, a kind of a dark side that occurs and that gets activated if we go through trauma. But if we're able to heal that trauma and be supportive of our real true self, it actually has a positive side as well. So I'm going to just go through the list of what those might be. Right atop that physical gift is a feeling gift. It's associated with the abdomen. And this is the center through which we sense our own and others' feelings and emotions. And it's also a creative center. So if it's working against us, we might over sense what's happening with other people's feelings to the extent we can't separate our own from other people. So we may cry all the time and it's not even our sadness. Or we may be angry and it's not our anger. Once we transform that gift, we become extraordinarily compassionate, merciful, we're good therapists, or we're very creative. So that's the upside of that ability. Atop that gift in the solar plexus is the center of mental activity. It's sometimes called clairsentience or clear seeing. We're literally able to sense what other people are thinking, what's going on with them, or pick up on information. And you can easily kind of get a sense of how this could be an awesome gift, but also very overwhelming. Largely ADHD or those kind of situations or, or even autism to some extent are caused by this center being too open or too closed. Ooh. And once we're able to transform it, we become very administrative, very intellectual, very intelligent, good with data, etc. So, so let, let me interrupt you there. Please. So if somebody has ADHD, um, somebody who's an energy healer, can would they be focusing on that energy center and would they be able to help that condition? Absolutely. An energy healer working with someone with ADHD needs to work on what they call that third chakra in the solar plexus. Frankly, both front and back because we have two sides to ourselves, therefore two sides to our chakras. So you're usually going to find, for instance, with ADHD that the front is way too open and the person is sponging in too much information, but the back is shut. So you're not able to bring in the clarity that you need to clean out and get really focused. Unless, you know, you're like my 12-year-old son who's doing video games and he's perfectly balanced. <laughs> but in the school room, you know, we get a little bit too open or shut in the front or the back. So that's where we want to work. And autism is kind of the opposite. The front's too shut and the back is too open. And, you know, then the person will just close down because you're just being kind of overwhelmed with way too much psychic data that comes from all over the place that you can't even begin to interpret. It may come from other worlds. It may come from somebody's, other people's souls. So the third chakra is really key when it comes to ADHD. Isn't that fascinating to have a place to go to work on for those issues? Absolutely. It's interesting. You talk, um, I, I hate to skip chakras, but you talk about the seventh chakra and the crisis related to it that you think Western civilization is undergoing. Can you go into that? That was just so fascinating. Well, let's jump there uh, because the seventh chakra, which is on the top of the head connected to the pineal gland, is our spiritual energy center. 
And, you know, in other cultures, in indigenous communities and in other countries prior to more so-called modern civilization, this chakra was very well nurtured and nourished amongst our young people. It actually gets developed or open between ages 14 and 21. And in a smaller society, in a village, if you would, this is when the young people are really encouraged to move from personal development to being part of the community. They're, they're accelerated into thinking about more than themselves. They're asked to open up their divine gifts, their, their calling, their purpose that's going to fuel and nourish not just themselves but the community as a whole. And so during that time period, most often both the girls and the boys underwent vision quests or ceremonies or rituals and apprenticeships where their gifts were opened, they were connected to the greater spirit, and they were trained to become an adult, a contributing adult. And nobody does that these days now, do they? I mean, kids are just thrown into junior high and said, you know, here's your textbooks, good luck. Now you're going to go from one period to the other. But, but nobody's helping them figure out who their inner being is and what they're here to do. Not very often. And so I think a lot of the problems in the world has occurred because nobody's helping the young people really move into themselves but into a greater sense of unity as well so they know they're important i mean you know we don't treat ourselves as important if nobody's helping us know that we're important and that's embedded in this energy center that need to open up and flourish spiritually well, uh, on the contrary, they all they get are these impossible role models that are either, you know, violent or oversexed or, you know, whatever. They're certainly shallow. I agree. I mean, Cindy Crawford doesn't look like Cindy Crawford. That's airbrushing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't look like, well, I don't look like myself on the books every day, not when I get up, I'll tell you that. Um, and, and so it's very... It's really challenging for kids and and for we adults because we grew up, you know, all the current generations that are here have all grown up without that sense, you know, of that it's more important to strive for inner peace and to find your, your true calling, you know, than to adapt or look like everybody else or do what other people are going to approve of. So we're really in a crisis. I mean, it's kind of a Prozac crisis because that seven chakras connected to the pineal gland which is in the body, the gland that produces melatonin, serotonin, and some of the hormones that we need and need to be running our body, you know, rather than kind of running behind, you know, trying to catch up to what we think we're supposed to be next. So instead we, we, we must sense the, the disconnect and uh, we medicate. We medicate because we don't know how to open up, mm-hmm. and I don't think we feel safe to open up. And, you know, maybe our gifts, whether they're the feeling gifts or healing gifts or visual gifts or verbal gifts or shamanic gifts, I mean, there's a whole list of gifts. Maybe, maybe we weren't really embraced when we were young or even when we're older for having those abilities. And so when that seventh chakra says it's time to be who you are, inside we probably said and are still saying no thank you that makes me too weird that's going to make me stand out i'm going to get pelted i'm going to get stoned i can't show up for my day job as an accountant you know if i've got these kind of strange uncanny senses uh, about myself so 
we're very seldom supported in opening up those hidden parts of us, which, by the way, are like 90% of who we really are now, aren't they? Mm. You know, as you were talking about getting stoned, my my mind went to what's happening in the news now, um, whether it's on the Wall Street protest or or the the Egyptian young people coming out again, um, where they're actually uh, moving beyond the fear of going against the the, the mainstream, the establishment, etc. Isn't it exciting? I am so excited when I watched and watch, you know, what's been happening in Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Libya. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly not for death and violence. And we do have a population that's now growing up that has a much better sense of truth and righteousness. And it's different than the kind of hippie stuff I was still pretty young for, you know, but I heard about, was, which was pretty much about me and I, and I think what's happening now, you know, some of these changes that are being instigated are about us's and we's and, and the world and can we hold hands. So, you know, with people, for instance, so scared about 2012, I, I'm not really. I'm seeing that there's wonderful, awesome, wondrous souls that are stepping up, that are holding hands and saying, you know, let's, let's do this for the world. Let's, let's open up to new regimes and new ways of thinking that are going to take care of the people who can't take care of themselves and ask all of us to start being more self-responsible. That's a spiritual transformation that's happening in the world. Is that spiritual transformation paralleled in any of the chakras, uh, you know, on the microcosm? Oh, that is such a great question. And, you know, I'm going to go back to, um, I think it's two chakras that are kind of simultaneously opening up together. I believe it's the heart chakra which is in the heart, and it has to do with love, healing, and change, transformation, moving something from a lower order to a higher order. And I also think that seventh chakra is pulsing, if you would, in the world to say it's time that humanity grows up and seizes hold of its destiny. Now, that seventh chakra opens up between 14 and 21. And if I look at humanity as in entirety, I would say we're pretty much teenagers. I would say we're teenagers. And I think we're trying to ground not a teenage rebellion, but a teenage revolution in our hearts, in that center space that says we're going to have to start to make some real decisions that have to do with love and relationship rather than selfishness. We've kind of been stuck in our in our unified first chakra, which is all about money, and it's down in the hips, money, power, fame, uh, you know, physicality. And so, so, so we've got some growing up to do, but I think it's heart and seventh chakra. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. You've um, written two books on chakra healing for cancer and heart disease. How do they show up in the etheric field? 
Well, those are good questions. Um, you know, cancer is, an, is a very complicated uh, disease because it can affect any chakra. It can be caused by our own energy, but it can also uh, be caused by others' energies as well. So I've had many clients who have had cancer, and, and we end up saying, you know, I don't know if that's your cancer. That might be a death wish from somebody else. That might be somebody else's cancer that you're carrying. And cancer itself is quite complicated. There's so-called 200 different kinds of cancer. Um, you know, but cancer to me, you know, shows up as an autoimmune dysfunction. Even Mayo is starting to insist that it's actually a virus that hides inside of the cells. And so I believe that cancer is ultimately a spiritual issue involving the spiritual issue, the chakras, which are the higher ones in the body, as well as the first one. It always involves the first chakra. Uh, which has to do with primary programming, abandonment issues, worthiness issues, where we inevitably have to ask ourselves, are we willing to see what's been hidden, you know, and, and so-called free ourselves from, from, you know, what's not ours and embrace who we really are. So cancer is very complicated, but it's kind of easy. It's a virus, which is a programming that's bigger than who we are, that we have to inevitably say, are we willing to release the first chakra, the fundamental programming that doesn't suit us, and open up to be and to show the world who we really are? Heart disease is heart. Heart disease can be kind of initiated in any of the chakras, and it's always a question about love. Am I willing to love myself? Am I willing to receive love? Am I willing to share love? So we see it in the heart energy center, and in the energy field that's called the fourth auric field that's surrounding the body. Again, we may be clouded by others' energies. Maybe we weren't loved or didn't feel lovable growing up. So we took on some of mom's issues or dad's issues to make ourselves more likable or seem more lovable. So we might have to release the energy that's not ours to open up our own true inner spirit. But we usually have to work on heart disease issues in the heart. You know, and heart disease is the number one issue in worldwide, too, in terms of an organic kind of a disease. And isn't it ironic that this is a time where we're just so dissociated from ourselves and from uh, our families, you know, as a society, we're so um, out of touch with the, the good feelings of community. And, and isn't it interesting, too, that so many young people have to move back home and so many families are having to live under the same roof. And, you know, older people may have to move in now with their, you know, the next generation down. I find that fascinating and not completely uh, problematic either uh, because we really do have to help each other now. That is a fascinating observation, Cindy. I hadn't thought of that. Very interesting. So um, tell us how, how do we manifest? Um, you talk about programming, that we, we have a, a, a typically a mix of both positive and negative programming that we have absorbed during our lifetime. Um, how do we focus on the positive? I mean, we really need to do the work. It's, it, it, and, and you go into that in your book 
Uh, I do. I do. do. Mm -hmm. And you do have to do the work, but can I give you a cheat sheet on it? (laughs) You know what I do, and you got to kind of hang on to the horse because things will really happen. It's really been working for me, but sometimes things go at light speed. This is what I do. I, I have an agreement with the divine or my guides, whatever word you want, my own spirit. You know, I say, you know what? Start bringing in the good stuff. You know, open me up to what I'm supposed to be manifesting so I can achieve my higher purpose, and I will do the work as I go. So (laughs) isn't it great? It really works. I I could give you example after example. I've been doing that for about a year. My year has been, oh, my gosh, can I take a breath now? And a lot of hard stuff has happened and a lot of wonderful stuff has happened, but it's all good. Because I, because when, when, as things happen, I go, wow, this is all leading me to a higher place. And it does, Miriam. And, you know, I just do the work as I go now. I don't want to do the work first and then, you know, kind of become who I'm supposed to be. I want to become who I am and I'm willing to do the work, you know, kind of clean up as I go. And once I've made that agreement, my life is just evolving. I'm having so much fun, to be honest. It's, it's unbelievably much more fun. Well, can't we all use that in our lives? Um, tell me, how do we stay well? What, what is our best approach to, to kind of mm-hmm. achieving that blossoming, joyful state? You know, it's, there's a physical and a spiritual aspect to becoming and staying well. I do believe that we're all different, that we have stronger versus weaker chakras, and that what wellness is to me and what involves to me and for me is going to be different than for you. I know myself really well. I know, for instance, I'm a very strong first chakra person. I have a lot of physical energy. I work constantly on, you know, not taking on other people's physical issues. I'm a great manifester. I mean, I'm really actually quite good. I've got so much stuff. I'm constantly giving it away. I'm so good at manifesting. So I really keep my wellness program in alignment with what my strongest energy centers are. So I know that the gland for the first chakra has to do with the adrenals. So I exercise a lot. I eat a lot of protein. I, I, um, you know, kind of get a lot. I, I definitely get enough sleep. I, I use minerals. I, I think I take minerals or supplements three, four times a day. And so because I know who I am and which organs best need to be fed or nourished through exercise, through my lifestyle, through what I eat, I'm actually almost always in pretty good shape. I I don't, you know, I cheat once in a while, but I know that there's certain foods that I can't eat, so I stay away from them. And I'm fine as long as I do that. So So it's it's really about getting to know ourselves and then nourishing ourselves based on who we really are. Like a stomach person, okay, you're going to have a different kind of lifestyle program. You're going to be much more organized than somebody like me. I hate to admit that. You're going to need an outline, a protocol, a program to go to the gym at the same time every day. And so you're a different type of person than, for instance, somebody who's much more of a physical type of person. Mm -hmm. So it, it really starts with knowing yourself. And, and you give a lot of guidelines in your book on, um, you know, how to assess yourself. So how can people find out more about you and your work, Cindy? 
I have a website. It's cindydale.com. It's super easy, except I smell my spell, smell, <laughs> spell my name kind of strange. C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-L-E.com. And so they can just go to my website or Google up Cindy Dale and see what's out there, which would be absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you teaching classes as well? I am. I have a one-year program called the Apprenticeship Program. That's pretty much everything you need to know about spiritual gifts and what your spiritual gifts are. This kicks off in January. I have a number of college-level programs going on here in Minneapolis, and we're going to be starting to kick off a Kundalini program, a clairvoyant program, which I'm super excited to teach sometime around mid-year. So if they go on my site, they can see what I'm currently doing, and there will be more to come as well. That's terrific. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you very, very much. We've been speaking with Cindy Dale about her book, The Intuition Guidebook. And I hope you'll join us next week on New Consciousness Review when my guest will be Michael Michalko. We'll be talking about his new book, Creative Thinkering. If you enjoyed our show, why don't you check out our archive and our community of readers and inspiring authors just like Cindy, at ncreview.com. As you go through the website, you'll see that reviews are the backbone of New Consciousness Review. Are you or would you like to be a book reviewer? We're looking for enthusiastic readers to join our team of reviewers. You get the first peek at leading-edge books even before they're published and build your library in the process. You'll be providing an important service to the community with your opinion and guidance. If you're interested, you can read more on our website, ncreview.com, or email us at reviews at ncreview.com. And now we're going to conclude today's show with the track of the week from members of the Positive Music Association. Their music styles range from pop and rock to folk and jazz, but all have positive messages designed to uplift, heal, or enlighten. This week we're featuring a song called Faith in a Feeling by Cecilia St. King, a charismatic peace troubadour who performs original acoustic pop songs with a spiritual edge. Cecilia wraps captivating vocals around wisdom teaching of the ages, and her concerts offer a powerful antidote to the turmoil in our current times. Well, I believe the Christians, I believe the Jews, got no problem with the Muslims. I've got friends who are Hindus I've got faith in a feeling I've got faith in a feeling Faith in a feeling Everything's gonna be alright
was Faith and a Feeling by Cecilia St. King from New York City, one of the PMA's growing group of musicians who are using music not only to entertain, but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. To find out more about Cecilia's music, go to ceciliastking.com. That's C-E-C-I-L-I-A-S-T-K-I-N-G.com. And to discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to positivemusicassociation.com. If you have any comments on the show, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to miriam at ncreview.com or leave a comment on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncreview. And please tell all your friends, that's why God invented the Internet. Until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.